So would you please turn with me to your study outline? Uh, and as you turn, you'll see that our title for today is For the Lost. And really, uh, we could do a 15-second, uh, we could probably take 15 seconds for this message, uh, just a question, and then with a three-word answer, and that would be uh, the message. I'm going to make it a lot longer than that and uh, kind of go on for a while. But really, that 15-second that question with an, a three-word answer really is uh, what it's all about. Why are we considering a change to our name and then the three-word answer for the lost. Uh, Could we just focus in on that sheep that's up there right now? Um, my wife, Kimberly, when she saw the graphic for today's study, she burst into tears because it made her think of all the lost sheep that we are praying for within our family, all the lost sheep uh, that our hearts break for. And she burst into tears as she saw that lost sheep because it just reminded her of the people that we are doing everything we can to influence for Christ so that they can join us in heaven. Uh, Why are we considering a change to our name, the three-word answer for the lost? When you look at that sheep, Uh, Think of a friend of yours. Uh, Think of your child or somebody else's child. Think of your grandchild or somebody else's grandchild. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Brian had such a powerful message. And one of the key phrases he said was, uh, I will do anything short of sin to reach the next generation for Christ. Anything short of sin. Why are we considering a change to our name? We are doing it for the lost. Why? What is the guiding principle of our church? It's about uh, reaching the lost. Now, um, at the end of the service, I just want to be real upfront with what's going to happen here and kind of give you an advance uh, heads up, and then I want to be real upfront with what my, um, what my perspective and my agenda will be uh, here today. And that is at the end of this message, we're going to have the ushers go down and pass out these informational feedback forms. Because our advisory board will be making this decision next month. And they're a group of over 100 people, includes our deacons, deaconesses, trustees, missions board. Over 100 people selected from the church family, voted on by uh, the church congregation. And they ask me to share this message and then to get a snapshot of congregational opinion on this subject. And so it's called an informational feedback form and we're going to pass this out. We want everybody to fill this in. Um, uh, member, non-member, regular attender. If you, if you consider this your church home, if you're within the sound of my voice right now, and you consider this your church home, we want you to take uh, one of these and, and, and to fill it out and to check the, uh, one of the two boxes there and also to give us uh, comments that you'd like to do. Uh, young and old, there is no age limitation on this. If you're old enough to uh, be in this service and to sit through this service, then we want you. So we We want to hear from the young and old. We want to hear from everybody uh, that's here and get the broadest possible input for a congregational opinion and a snapshot of uh, what your opinion is. And here will be the question uh, before you. Okay. Um, Yes, I'm in favor of changing the church name to Purpose Church. Now, our legal and constitutional name will continue to be First Baptist Church of Pomona. But we would do uh, a DBA, doing business as, as, as Purpose Church. Our legal and constitutional name would remain First Baptist. 
Baptist Church of Pomona, but we would refer to ourselves uh, as Purpose Church. And the alternative is, no, I'm not in favor of the name being changed. That is, I want to hold on to First Baptist Church of Pomona, uh, not only as our legal name, as we're doing in the first option, but also in what we refer to ourselves as well. So it's kind of, they, they want a kind of a straight up and down between Purpose Church and First Baptist Church of Pomona. And then there'll be a chance for comments, for input, for things for the advisory board to consider uh, as they make this decision next month. Um, Now, I just want to be very upfront with you. I'm going to do everything I can over the next 40 minutes to encourage and to persuade and to influence you to support uh, changing our name to Purpose Church. I'm asking you, and I'm going to do everything I can to ask you to say, to give this input to the advisory board that you support that, that change. And I just want to be right up front. Uh, I'm not neutral on this. I'm all in. I'm passionate about it. Actually, the more I've considered it and found out what other churches are doing that are the most effective at reaching people for Christ, uh, the more I've prayed about it, the more I've sought God on it, the more convinced I am as your pastor that this is something we just absolutely need to do. And so I just want to be right up front that I'm going to do everything I can to persuade you to do so and to give that particular feedback uh, to the advisory board as they make their decision. You'll see in your study outline, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Now, why is it this way? It's because our founder told us to be this way. Our founder, the founder of our faith, the author of our faith, he's the one that started us in this movement of Christ followers, and he's the one that told us to be that way. Mark 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus, the founder, the author of our faith, said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He wants us to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Could we put that graphic up there one more time? Jesus said that we are to live to reach the lost. We're not to be satisfied just to go to heaven ourselves. We're not to be satisfied to be with the 99 that are safely in the sheepfold of the shepherd. But we are to orient everything within our church family and in our personal uh, lives following after Christ for that one lost sheep, for the lost. That's what every decision has to be, is for the lost. And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Uh, Can we put that graphic one more time? Whatever decision we make today, whatever input we give uh, today, let it be uh, for that lost sheep. Let it not be for tradition. Let it not be for our comfort zone. Let it not be for our own personal preference, but let it be for the lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, here's the crisis at hand. The the body of Christ, the church uh, globally, is growing at an unprecedented rate. These are the fastest times of growth globally in the history of Christianity. 
Globally, the church is on fire and growing like, like never before. But nationally, that is not the case. As a matter of fact, the body of Christ is shrinking within our nation, even as it is exploding in growth uh, around the globe. Maybe many of you saw uh, earlier this month a Pew Research study that was all across the media. I mean, it was everywhere. It was in newsprint and on TV and, and radio. The front page of the LA Times uh, a couple of weeks ago said, religion on the decline in the United States. Do you know that the United States now is the third biggest mission field in the world? We have the third biggest number of people that do not follow Christ, the third biggest mission field in all the world. Number one is China, number two is India, and number three is the United States. And if we are a mission field, the third biggest mission field in the world, then we've got to think like missionaries. We've got to think strategically like missionaries if we find ourselves within a mission field. It goes on to say in the subtitle, the number of Christians falls and the trend is expected to continue as young adults age. It is particularly a crisis among the young. You'll see the statistics that are there in in your study outline. It says that 40% of Americans over the age of 68 believe in the value of church, but that number drops in half. Only 20%, half of that of Americans under the age of 30 believe in the value of church. Uh, Put another way, the percentage of evangelical Christians among each successive generation, among the builders, it's 65%. Among boomers, it's 35%. Among busters, it's 16%. Bridgers, it's 9%. And then millennialists, that trend is continuing. Now you might say, well, Glenn, that might be true nationally, but it's not true of our church. Uh, We are one of the most effective multi-generational churches in the area. I mean, we've always been very proud of this. Uh, most churches specialize in one particular generation. They're builder churches or they're boomer churches or they're Gen X or millennialist churches. And we are rare as a church because we have a pretty equal number between uh, three different groups of, of generation. And, and we've always talked about that, how about a third of our church are builder generation, about a third are boomers, and about a third are busters, bridgers, and younger. Now that was fine 10 or 15 years ago. But here's the problem. The youngest baby boomer, is now 51 years old. I know because I'm married to one of them. Okay, you know. Um, uh, 51 is is now um, um, the the youngest uh, baby boomer is now 51. That means that now two-thirds of our church is over the age of 50 and only one-third of our church is under the age of 50. And as you look at that 9% of bridgers that follow after Jesus... Think of your children. Think of your grandchildren. Do you, don't you want our church to be the kind of place in the generations to come that your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will, will, will want to come to, will be attracted to, to what we teach within the cause of Christ and how we uh, do our ministry and how effective we are in that area. Now, this is where I get chills down my spine. Uh, Phil Jackson uh, emailed me a week ago or so, and he says, now, Glenn, remember, you got to say something by the end of May before May's over, because this month is our 145th birthday as a church. And I knew it was this year, but I hadn't paid attention to the fact that it was this month, and this is what I thought was so awesome, is you know what our theme verse is this morning? Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation commends your works to another. One generation 
commends your works to another, they tell of your mighty acts. Now, I'm going to say something that sounds very arrogant, but I can back it up statistically. Our church is one of the most effective churches in American history at obeying that verse. I'm going to go further. Our church is one of the most effective churches in world history at obeying that verse. One generation commends your works to another. Do you know that statistically our church ought not to exist? Uh, when you consider age of our church and location of our church, it is a statistical miracle that we have seen God do what he's done over the last 10 or 20 years. It's, it's just, it's, it's miraculous. I read an article this past week that had a statistical model of, of churches in America, and they basically said that in our category, there were zero churches that were growing. And I'm like, well, here we are. No, you don't exist statistically on paper. And yet we do. And yet we do. Now, why has that happened? It's because throughout our history, we have combined two dynamic things combine two things. We've been conservative in orthodoxy, ortho Latin for right, doxy Latin for doctrine. We've been conservative in orthodoxy while being dynamic and flexible in orthopraxy, ortho meaning right, praxy meaning the practice of the faith. We've been conservative in our doctrine because of our love for God and for his word. But at the same time, we have been flexible in commending your works to generation to generation because of our love for lost people, particularly the lost of the next generation. And because throughout our history, we have made those decisions for the sake of the one lost sheep when they have presented themselves for us. We have chosen for the one lost sheep rather than for the 99 that are already in the sheepfold because we have done that God has done a miracle in a very difficult place in which to perform a miracle. So why change? Early church for 2,000 years has been asking that exact same question. As a matter of fact, the first church meeting was in Acts chapter 15. The first meeting was about why to change to reach the lost sheep. It is my judgment they came up with at the end, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, I tell you, we think we don't like change. Jewish Christians in Jerusalem in the year 35 AD did not like change. And they came to the conclusion, we should not make it difficult for the outsiders who are turning to God. You say, well, Glenn, how, how are we making it difficult? How does our name make it difficult? Now, this is the hard part, Okay. You think of our name, First Baptist Church of Pomona. Let's, let's take that apart phrase by phrase. Now, the first one, I don't want to make too big of a deal about the first one and, and have you think that I'm overstating the case, but it's, it's a reality. I've encountered it. The word first. At best, it's confusing. At worst, it's off-putting. You see, we know, or, well, actually, very few of us realize. I'm always, you know, not many of us, maybe you didn't realize that first is a chronological term. It simply means the first Baptist church chronologically in 1870 that was established in, in Pomona. And yet, you know, very few of us know that. I forget that all the time, but that's what it means. But people outside the church, they have no idea that that's what it means. So at best, it's confusing but at worst, it's off-putting. You say, Glenn, what do you mean? I've actually encountered people that think we have first in our name because we think we're number one. 
Now we are. Now we are. You know, I want you to know. We just don't want to come off that way. Okay, you know. So, but they actually think. We think we're number one. Let's, let's go to one that's more significant. That is the last uh, part of it. First Baptist Church of Pomona. Now, we all know that even though the church is in Pomona, that we can still go to it even if we don't live in Pomona. We, we, we get that. I mean, more than half of us drive here from other cities. My family and I, we live in Pomona now, but for years we lived in Upland, and every Sunday we drive to church in Pomona. And, and we get that. You'd be amazed at people that think, oh, if I don't live in Pomona, I shouldn't go to a church that is in Pomona. You, you'd be amazed by how it excludes people geographically, particularly now that we're multi-site, with worship services not only in Pomona, but Claremont, in Montana, in Idaho, a church plant in Indiana, and Lord willing, more, more to come. Now the sensitive one, and that is Baptist. Now, I, I've been accused of, of bashing Baptists, and that is, that is absolutely not my intent. I, I love Baptists. I am a Baptist. I married a Baptist. I have little Baptistlings running around the house, you know. I had grandchildren, and then, and then, uh, you know, grandchildren, and Lord willing, great grandchildren someday. And and uh, uh, my best friends, most of my best friends, uh, people I like, are Baptists. Uh, as a matter of fact, I wrote down the first five things that pop into my mind when I think of the word Baptist. When first five things, I sat down and wrote them down. Here they are: biblical, evangelistic, conservative, theologically missions-minded, and godly. Those are the first five things. I bet your list is very similar to that. But here's the problem, and it's not fair. It's not accurate. It's not right. It's irritating. It makes me angry. But you can check me on your phone right now. If you Google Baptists are, and it changes all the time. You know how Google is. It, it, it's a moment-by-moment snapshot of what uh, people are searching for and what, uh, what they believe. But when I checked it out, here's the top five on their list. Baptists are not Protestants. That's, that's wrong. That's not true. Baptists are wrong. It's wrong that they say we're wrong, okay? Uh, Baptists are hypocrites. Baptists are cults. Baptists are judgmental. Now, we know that that's, that's not true. But here's the thing. We can spend our time saying, yes, but we're not like that. Or we can take that same time and energy and talk about Jesus, I mean, that's what Billy Graham decided. Uh, for years, his evangelistic outreaches were called crusades. Now, he could spend all of his time explaining that when he says crusades, he doesn't mean that we're gathering a group in a city to kill the infidels, okay? He could spend his time doing that. But he didn't want to. He wanted to spend his time talking about Jesus, first of all. And so now they've changed them from crusades to festivals. And they're now called evangelistic festivals rather than evangelistic crusades. Same thing with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, biggest missions organization in the world. They have now dropped crusade uh, from their name as well. Now I want you to hear some other voices other than mine on this subject. Um, three voices I want you to hear. The first one is my friend Dane Ocker. Uh, Dane is, is just one of my good friends and heroes, pastor for many years, First Baptist Church of Colton that is now called Centerpoint. And, and the reason why Dane is such an admired pastor across Southern California is because he has done more with less than about any pastor that I know. He's in the heart of Colton. He, uh, his, his congregation has very limited means. So half of them are under the age of 30. So half of his, his church is over 30. Half is under 30. Very limited means. He, he has built a mega church that is approaching 2,000 in size for average attendance with a, only a $1 million budget, which is unheard of in Southern California. A $1 million budget, a fifth our size, 
And he's, and he's reaching close to 2,000 people. Has a terrible facility, uh, very small, very inadequate. I want you to hear from him about their experience. John Burroughs, greatest defender of traditional ministry within our church. Our choir director and orchestra uh, director. Nobody has defended and built traditional ministry more than John, Bur- John Baptist, John Burroughs. He is, and he's... He's the Baptist of Baptists, okay? I mean, he and his wife, Connie, I believe, met at First Baptist Church of Dallas. That's as Baptist as you get. I mean, that's like the Vatican for Baptists, okay? First Baptist of Dallas. Um, and, and, then, and then Dr. Ted Cole. Now, how many of you, there might be some in this service, were here to, to, under Dr. Ted. Okay, good number, good number. Almost many at the 830 service, many here. Okay, I, I want to talk to those of you that are new to our church or those of you that are young. I want to tell you about a legend for our, from our past. Uh, pastor here for, for, uh, for 28 years, and he was Mr. Baptist. He wrote the book on Baptists. Literally, I actually mean that. He wrote the book on Baptists. I have it here in my hand. It's called The Baptist Heritage. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't remember this, but probably this is the book I studied when I prepared for my ordination council uh, years ago. I don't remember, but it. But I think this is the book that I used. It's got a foreword by Billy Graham. I mean, you talk about Baptist, the Baptist heritage, uh, written by our pastor here for 28 years with a foreword by Billy Graham. And I often ask the question through the years: What would Doctor Ted do? Because I admired him admire him so greatly, you say, and, and you'd like to ask him, you can't, he's in heaven now, but I think I know what he'd say, okay? You say, oh, Glenn, how, how can you say that? Well, I was praying about this, and all of a sudden, the Lord laid on my heart, wait a minute, Dr. Ted, when he left here after 28 years, didn't he go to Arrowhead and plant a Baptist church that doesn't have Baptists in its name? And then after that, he went to South Shores Baptist Church that dropped the name Baptist. So today in Dana Point, it's simply called South Shores Church. I wonder what the story on that was. So I asked my assistant, Bev Mowdy, who's very good friends with Dottie Cole. His widow is still alive. She's 91 years old. My goal in life is to be as sharp at 61 as she is at 91. That would be a great thing. Sharp as a tack. And so Bev called her up, and, and here's what she said. She said, Dr. Ted, when they moved to Arrowhead, wanted to attract more people, so they determined not to use Baptist in the name, even though they were a Baptist church. The reason we didn't use Baptist in the church name when we began the Church of the Woods was because we wanted to reach all people in Arrowhead. It is better to get them to come and hear the word of God so they can be born again. South Shores Church in Dana Point took the Baptist name out of their name. It was South Shores Baptist Church when Dr. Ted's brother, Dr. Don Cole, was pastor, but under the support of Dr. Ted as well. Dorothy said it opened the floodgates, and many people began attending. So when Dr. Ted came a number of years later, the name was South Shores Church in Dana Point. Now let me just camp on that for a moment. Dr. Ted, Baptist of Baptists, was doing what we're talking about doing here. 30 years ago, three decades ago, a third of a century ago. Am I overstaying my welcome? 3% of a millennium ago. Okay. Let's watch this. 
I want to tell everybody at Pomona First Baptist Church a very happy 145th birthday for your church because we were there when they had the 100th birthday, I believe it was. After 28 years of increasing in membership in this church, um, it became a, a mega church in those days. Dr. Ted felt a desire to move on to a new challenge, and we went up to Lake Arrowhead, and there we started another church. It wasn't named Baptist. It was called Church of the Woods. We moved on, um, and my husband became the South Shores Baptist Church, uh, the pastor, and that was a church that had been started in his mother's living room because she was a Bible teacher. But the Baptist had been taken out of the name, even though it was the legal name of the church, and this was in 1991. So... The name had been removed, and my husband decided, do I really want to leave Baptist out of this name? And then he thought, well, when people come and they look at a church, they see the name Baptist, and they think, well, that's where Baptists go, or Presbyterian, and that's where Presbyterians go. But uh, he wanted people to come to the church, hear the word of God, hear the gospel, that we wanted them to hear, accept the Lord, and become members. So it was more likely that they would come into the church if the Baptists were not on the name. So he said, that's okay. We'll go without the name Baptist, even though we will still legally be under that name. I can understand how most of us older members of this church at Pomona, and even I might not like to have the word First Baptist Church, the Baptist, taken off. All the things that we have felt there, how we've been blessed there, how we've met people there, how we've found the Lord there. There's good reasons why we don't want to be have, have that taken off, but we need to think about what would be the most important thing to do to get others into this church. In this day of changing, everything changing, even when denominations are less mentioned and not as popular or they're out of style. We know that God's word and the Baptist doctrine that we believe must not change. The very things that we preach, the very things that we teach our kids and, our, and believe in our hearts, we cannot miss those things. Winning people to the Lord in these days is more important than ever. What we must believe in these days, we must share and win as many people as we can before our time and opportunity is gone. Even though we may decide to change the name of the church, we have to be geared to the times. We must be anchored in the rock of our salvation. But we do not have to worry about the word Baptist because we will be, uh, we will be hearing the word of God, and that's what Baptists stand for doesn't mean that we've lost our faith and giving up a, given up our true identity as Christians. Above all, we must be true to the word of God. So just know I miss you. I know that God will lead you. I know that you have a wonderful pastor, and you will support him, and you will think through. Do not leave this church because we lose the name Baptist, because you know this church needs you. So please stay. Thank you. When I was asked my opinion about a possible name change for our church, I really had to stop and think, why make a name change? 
As I considered the various reasons that our leadership felt that a name change should be considered, the reason that I couldn't get away from was that a simpler name for our church would be more attractive to young adults and teens. Even though I am a lifelong Baptist from First Baptist Tulsa to First Baptist Dallas to Second Baptist Houston to Magnolia Avenue Baptist in Riverside, I understand how an unchurched, unsaved young adult would very likely not be attracted to considering attending a church with the name Baptist or any other denomination for that matter in it, but could very well be attracted to attending a church with a very simple name such as Purpose Church that our pastor has asked us to consider. I have personally seen the success of this with other churches in the last 10 to 20 years. A nearby real-life example of the success of this concept is Sandals Church in Riverside that is a vibrant, growing Southern Baptist church that is attracting young people in the Inland Empire. If our goal is to reach others for Christ, and especially young people, who are the future of our church, then we must consider what will work to get them through our doors to hear God's word. I am guided by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. If changing our name to Purpose Church, as our pastor is asking us to consider, allows us to become all things to the young people in our region, then I believe we should embrace this opportunity for the next chapter in the life of our church. Hi, my name's Dane Ocker. I'm pastor of Centerpoint Church in Colton. Now, we've been Centerpoint Church for the last eight years. That's our DBA now. We For the previous 100-plus years, we were the First Baptist Church of Colton. So I've been at this church for 30 years, and for the first 22 years, I pastored the First Baptist Church of Colton. And then, while we're still a Baptist church, we've started operating under the name Centerpoint Church. And uh, the reason that we made that change, probably the biggest reason, honestly, was to open up our doors wider to our community. We wanted to attract more people who maybe would have been— hesitant to come inside a church that had the name Baptist. We found that a lot of people had a preconceived idea of what a Baptist church was, and we were often trying to tell people why we weren't like the typical Baptist church, or having to defend ourselves and say, well, we're not like the Westboro Baptist church. We're not one of those Baptist churches that pickets funerals, or we're not like the American Baptist churches where they would come out with some statement about an issue that we didn't necessarily agree with, some political issue. So it freed us up from having to always explain who we weren't, and we could talk more about who we are. We took the name Centerpoint Church because um, our purpose statement was to make Christ the center and the point of our world. So we were able to focus more on Christ and what Christ was doing in our church. I'm so glad we did change our name. I have to admit I was hesitant at first. In fact, I was kind of scared about it. I wondered how it would change our church or if it would make it a lot different. But all it did was really, as I said, open the doors wider to reach our community. And in the eight years before we changed the name of our church, we added to our attendance 143 people. And in the eight years since we've changed the name of our church, we've actually added to our Sunday worship attendance 718 people. So just to give you the statistics, the eight years before we changed our name, we were growing at a rate of 19%. And in the eight years since we've changed our name, we've grown at a rate of 79%. There's a story that I always like to tell people about our name change. The first Sunday that we had our new name, Centerpoint Church, a man had called me up and asked me to do the funeral for his father-in-law. And uh, his children were going to our church. He had two kids that were brought to our church by a friend. 
And when he walked in the door to meet with me to plan the funeral, he had never been in our church before. He and his wife had never been there. Uh, He said to me, so I thought you were a Baptist church. And I said, well, we are a Baptist church, but we've changed our name. We're going to call ourselves Centerpoint Church. And then he said, you know, when I heard my kids were going to a Baptist church, now this is kind of hard to understand because I love Baptist churches and I've got great memories from being a Baptist. But when he found out we were Baptist church, he said, I thought that my kids were maybe going to a cult. And that's how he perceived our church, like a cult. And so he said, well, explain to me why you changed your name. And I got to explain to him the reason. And he and his wife actually started coming to church. And uh, they became Christians at our church, Centerpoint Church. And sometimes I just sit back and I wonder how many people would have just driven by our church and never stepped inside the church if we were still called First Baptist Church of Colton. Uh, So many times people will tell me, uh, I didn't know you were a Baptist church. And I'll say, yeah, we're a Baptist church, but we use the name Centerpoint Church. And they'll say something to me like this. They'll say, wow, if I'd known you were a Baptist church, I never would have come here. I'm glad that I didn't know it because I came here and I love this church and I found the Lord here. So, you know, I'm so glad that we've removed a barrier that in many ways kept us from reaching many people that we've now reached for Christ, over 700 people since we changed the name. You know, I think the struggle today is is not just the name Baptist, it's all denominational names seem to turn many people off. And anything we can do to remove the barriers to reaching people for Christ, we want to remove those barriers and reach as many people for Jesus as we can. Now the final question. Why Purpose Church? A couple of reasons. First of all, it is just thoroughly biblical. 36 times in Scripture. Um, I know you guys teased me, you know, how many times I use the word purpose, especially the last month. And I'm telling you, God uses it all the time. Last night, just before I went to bed, before I fell asleep, I was reading the Psalms. And I came across one I hadn't seen before. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 11 But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Isn't that beautiful? Just discovered that last night, just before I fell asleep. The purposes of his heart through all the generations. Now, you can read some of the examples I gave there. I didn't put them all down, but just gave some of them, uh, some of our favorite verses, uh, most famous verses within Scripture. You can read them this afternoon or sometime this week. But let's skip to the end. The second reason, it's thoroughly biblical. And then secondly, it is outreach-oriented. Now, let me just share with you the process. And this is why I I really just uh, think this is the way we should go. There are two choices we could have done for an alternative to our current name. One would be to to gather favorite names from 5,000 of our people and then kind of have a process where we call it down to 10 and then the top five and then the top two and and then the top one. And what we would end up with is a favorite name among the already saved. A favorite name for the 99 sheep that are already in the sheepfold. So instead, and and some people say, well, why did you go like outside the church? Well, that's the only place to go to a Christian organization. We we can't think of what connects with unsaved people because we're saved. So we looked at three ministries, and and the one we chose 
uh, out of the three was called Plain Joe's. They're down in Orange County. Just a couple of days ago, I was at a pastor's meeting, and I mentioned that we had used them, and they said, oh, oh, everybody knows they're the best. They're, they're like fantastic. And they sat with us, and they, and, and they got to know us and our history and our church, but then we gave them this assignment. Okay, do it so that it's true to us and who we are, biblically grounded, as I mentioned. It's thoroughly biblical. But now, we want you to come up with something for us to consider that would be the most, the, the fewest barriers and the most attractional to that one lost sheep. And the thing they came up with was purpose. Uh, there is an ache in the heart. Our, the people of our culture have been just sold this lie that they're a group of random cells experiencing random chance. And they're just, there's, there's no God in the picture, and so there's no eternity in the picture. There's no significance of their life. They're just organized dirt who spends a few years having fun, then they die and become disorganized dirt. And there's an ache in the heart of people. What is my reason for being alive? What is the purpose why I'm here? And, and that's why uh, this name is so attractive to people uh, that don't know the Lord. Let's watch this together. Well, hey, my name is Eric, and I am the high school pastor and student ministries pastor here. And I'm excited just to briefly share with you why I love the name Purpose Church and why I think it's great for our students. The, the first thing I want to talk about is, you know, students are asking three primary questions. And these are like deep questions. These aren't like how many Instagram followers I have or, or is my favorite boy band going to break up this week? No, these are like the deep questions that are at like the, the core of their hearts. And, and, and the three questions are this. Number one. Who am I? And you see, with a name like Purpose Church, I can answer that quickly. I can say, you know, you're, you were created purposefully by God. You're not an accident. You're not a mess up. You're not some random event. But no, God created you intentionally and he purposefully designed you. And then there's that second question every single student's asking is this, where do I belong? Where, where do I fit in? And with a name like Purpose Church, I can say, hey, you were purposefully created to be a part of the family of God. You see, there's no such thing as an only child in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, everybody, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you were created to be a part of this ethnically and culturally and, and racially and economically diverse family that God is building. And the third question every student is asking is, what's my purpose? And there I get to say, your purpose is to be in a relationship with Christ and then invite others to find their purpose in Christ. And then we did this survey, right, where we, we went around and we, we asked about 266 people at, at multiple locations surrounding our church. And we said, hey, if you had to decide to come, on, to, come to a church based on just the name alone, Pomona First Baptist Church or Purpose Church, which would you choose? And out of, out, of, out of the 266 people we interviewed, we found that two out of three people, two out of three people said Purpose Church is the church that I would choose to go to. But for me, it gets even a little bit more personal than that. I asked a bunch of our students, and, and I asked a group of students who are committed here, who love this place, who, who are passionate about Jesus. I said, I said, I want you to think outside of just your comfort zone, out of, out of what you value and out, out of what you appreciate and what you feel comfortable with. I want you to think about your friends who don't know Christ, your friends who, who have never come to church before, who, who don't know that there is a God who loves them and who wants to save them and invite them into the most amazing purpose that they would ever possibly know. Those friends, would they be more likely 
to come to a church named Purpose Church or Pomona First Baptist Church. And our students loudly and passionately said, Purpose Church. And I said, okay, but I need to know why. I don't just want to know a number of how many of you prefer that. I need to know why. Why is Purpose Church more appealing to your friends who don't know Christ? And here is what some of them had to say. I once invited a friend to church with a denominational name. And she was uncomfortable about going because she feared being the odd person out. So she ended up not going. Another student said, Purpose Church clarifies things. It's less intimidating and it's more welcoming. Another student said, it's about finding your purpose, sharing your purpose, and then helping others find purpose. Another high schooler said, purpose is a perfect name because it embodies our biggest question, what is my purpose? And then one of our last students shared this with me. And I could so tell that this student was thinking bigger than themselves. They were thinking about those friends who don't know anything about church, don't know anything about God's love for them. And he says this, having an emphasis on purpose shows there is a reason for newcomers to be here. It creates a connection for people who have never attended or are first-time visitors. You see, with a name like Purpose Church, it's a bridge builder. And I could tell you countless stories of students who, who come to me and, and they're crying and, and they're so emotional because this church, because this family has meant so much to them. And my desire is that we would see hundreds and thousands of students who want nothing to do with God walk through the doors of Purpose Church and meet Jesus by the way we love them, by the word that we preach, and by the way we worship and by the way we serve. I want students to see that Jesus lives, that God's word is true, and that he has a purpose for their life. So I moved to California, and it's one Friday night, and I'm desperate. I am alone. I'm lost. I got a lot of questions, and I need answers. But most importantly, I need direction. I need to be recentered around my purpose. And so I Google in the Internet, and I put in purpose. And our church pulled up. I get on the phone immediately uh, that night, leaving a message. I need to meet with a pastor. I have questions. I need to get in touch with a pastor right away, and I need to be directed around my purpose. Within 24 to 48 hours or so, I'm already in the office with pastors and, and getting directed around my purpose. It, and it was just an amazing process to see how God picked me up out of a lost situation, bring me to a church that's full of, of energy around purpose, and here I am thriving in my purpose now. You know, as I prayed to the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm kind of, you know, a little afraid of this step because, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good and, and, and maybe pretty good is, is good enough. And the Lord laid on my heart what's called the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And, and that one person that got the bag of gold, it's really talents, the parable of the talents is really bags of gold. Verse 18, the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And the Lord laid on my heart, there's so many lost people. This is not good enough. Don't take your one bag of gold and, and then like, like just bury it in the ground. Be like the man in verse 16. 
The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Would everybody turn with me to page six in your program? And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see our year-end report, and it tells the story of our church over the last 22 or 23 years. And you'll see something that is miraculous that they tell us should not happen. It's because we've made decisions every step along the way. We've made decisions step by step for the lost sheep rather than the 99 that are already in the sheepfold. And as your pastor, I'm asking you to make just one more of those. I'm asking you to make another decision for the sake of a lost sheep and not for the 99. Lord, I pray that anything I've said of you that is not of you, that people will forget. But anything that is of you, I pray that we'll take to heart with an open ears, open mind, and open heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said.